Welcome to episode 237 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. My guests this week are Rebecca Perry and David Kingsmill. How are you doing these days? I'm doing all right myself. I'm just trying to get by. Every day is much the same. There are some brief, brief moments that break up each day from day to day. And I still find myself thinking that I can't remember which day is Wednesday, which day is Tuesday. I've been seeing articles online for the last little while. They pop up now and then talking about how theater is over or theater is dead or things will never be the same. And I've been looking at that and I just I just can't believe that that's the case. I can't let myself believe that we will never sit in a theater again, that we will never gather in large numbers to breathe together as an audience with the people on stage and have them breathe together with us. I can't believe that that is over. It will be difficult for a little while. And yes, there will be some time as we draw towards the end of social distancing, whether that takes another six months to a year. We have a need to gather in theaters, to experience things together and to come out changed by them. It will come back. I have to believe that if I didn't believe that, I couldn't keep doing this podcast. And it's important to remember that that these things that we're doing now with online, we haven't learned yet how to make those feel like theater. We may never realize how to make those feel like theater. and We may never learn how to sell tickets properly for those. For the moment, these video and, and conference theater experiments feel more like experiments than anything else. They are not going to replace theater. They will never be able to replace theater fully. They are stopgap measures. And so I, I think to myself about how, you know, yes, we are experimenting and yes, we're learning, but this is not the end of theater. We need theater. We have to come back to it. And we will come back to those spaces again. I only wish I knew when that would be. I really miss it, you guys. You know, a while back, I had the producers of the Play Me podcast, Laura Mullen and Chris Tolley, as guests. That's way back in episode 113. Now, Play Me from CBC Podcast is proud to present a new series, The Show Must Go On, featuring exciting productions from some of Canada's top creators, including Hannah Moscovich, Drew Hayden Taylor, David Yee, Chloe Hung, and Anna Chatterton. Each month, enjoy a new show from the comfort of your own home. The theaters have closed, but the show must go on. You can subscribe to Play Me wherever you get your podcasts. Now, if you've been listening to Stageworthy for a while, or maybe you're a first-time listener and you're listening through a link on the website, did you know that you can subscribe so that you never miss an episode? You can do that by searching for Stageworthy on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify or, you know what, wherever you get your podcasts. And once you go there, you can search for Stageworthy and click on the handy subscribe button. And then every week, the new episode of Stageworthy will be delivered right to you. And if you subscribe, let me know that you're a new subscriber. If you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby. And my website is philrickaby.com. And you can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod. And the website is at StageworthyPodcast.com. As I mentioned, my guests this week are Rebecca Perry and David Kingsmill. They joined me to talk about live streaming Rebecca's hit show from Judy to Betty, the stars of old Hollywood. We talked about how they adapted the show for streaming, and we nerd out a little bit about how they streamed the show. Here's that conversation.
So are you guys are you guys uh, hunkering down in Toronto or because I've seen pictures in Brampton? Are you guys hiding out in Brampton? <laughs> yeah. So basically, what happened was um, before you know the government was like stay inside, um, we uh, actually had our heat stop working in Toronto at our place uh, in the, the west of Toronto. Uh, so we actually came to my parents' house for the weekend in hopes of solving it with my landlord who turned out to be in Portugal. So it became Ooh. a much longer process than we had initially thought it would be because he first had to get back from Portugal, you know, when a lot of flights were being redirected, et cetera, uh, and then self-isolate. So yes. um, we've now just kind of been in Brampton for so long. Uh, and, you know, there's just, we don't run into anybody here. There's there's some some wetlands we can go walking in. So we're just sticking around here for a little while, I think. I mean, it is kind of, it is sort of the safest thing to do. It's where you ended up. And so. Yeah, basically. <laughs> for me, it's, it's the, it's the whole, like, um, the problem is continuing to pay rent at, at one place where you're not oh, yeah. at. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, uh. We're, we're lucky in the sense that we have a, a fairly reasonable landlord. So he was very sympathetic to the fact that we couldn't actually use the place for quite some time. So obviously uh, during this, these circumstances, he's been kind to us in that respect in regards that's to good. negotiating prices and whatnot. That's good. That's good. <laughs> um, now with there, there's a bunch of things I want to talk about. Um, I want to talk about first um, when you did a live stream of your show uh, from Judy to Betty. And at what point did you decide that you were, that you wanted to do a live stream of that? And I might get really nerdy about the logistics of this, but um, about <laughs> and how it came together, but I find I, I'm fascinated by this and I want to learn how other people are doing it as well. And I'm sure other people do. That's why I'm glad both David and myself are here because we both played very different roles in making mm. this live stream come to fruition. Yeah. So I'll sort of start with the the story of it, and David will uh, will pop in all the uh, the juicy details that you are craving, Phil. We will <laughs> we will nerd and tell a story. Thank so you. So I guess you are welcome. Uh, I guess it all started. Um, uh, we had been touring with Smile Theater. For those of you that aren't familiar with this company, it's a, a theater company that tours around to seniors' homes and performs 60-minute pieces so that they have theater that they can just walk you know, down from their room to attend. Uh, so it gets set up in like the library of a senior's home or sometimes um, a recreation center nearby so that uh, a whole bunch of seniors' homes can bus in people. Uh and we were doing From Judy to Betty with Smile Theater. So we were actually quite uh, acutely aware of the coronavirus a little bit before I'd say um, the general public felt like they had to stay home because seniors' homes yeah. were one of the first places to take precautions. So where we were supposed to have uh, three months of touring with Smile Theater, uh, it got cut short by about uh, a month and a half, um, understandably. And so we kind of felt, you know, like we hadn't... Um, finished a project and, and made peace with uh, all these shows we wanted to perform. So our initial intent was to perform a live stream of From Judy to Betty, specifically to be able to um, gift this performance to all the seniors' homes we weren't going to get to. Um, David, want to add anything? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, I guess the only, the only sort of other part of that being that uh, it was around the time we were considering how we were going to do this that uh, we originally heard about some of the grants that were being offered out to places that were, or people and organizations that were willing to take their work and put it into a digital format. Um, mm. And that was obviously something that, you know, when your entire livelihood is invested in theater, uh, yeah. finding ways of compensating for the fact that theater now sort of temporarily doesn't exist. Um, was something that was of interest also. And so the, 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 the two things kind of aligned conveniently at around the same time. Um, Absolutely. And although we ended up doing, we, we got some support uh, for that, but not from the granting bodies, but it gave us that kind of impetus to go, okay, yeah, let's look at this and let's see how we make it happen. Yeah, the, the company Smile Theatre that, uh, like that we had this contract with was super generous in the sense that they helped us very much facilitate uh how we would get this to various seniors' homes, what we mm -hmm. thought was sort of the easiest medium, uh, which David can speak a bit about why we chose YouTube in that regard. Um, because, you know, Facebook Live, then it's only your friends that can see it. Um, Instagram, 
that still feels like something that's a little bit more millennial centric. I don't know many seniors homes that are going to, you know, screen mirror an Instagram live feed to a wall in their, uh, you know, their rec room. Uh, so yeah, we, we sort of, it was very much a co-production with Smile Theater in the sense that their enthusiasm also kept us chugging along and we were sort of in charge of the logistics and it eventually became a much bigger thing um, because we didn't just perform it for them. We opened it up to any of our friends and family and, uh, you know, uh, people we know all over the world that might've heard of this show or, or know some of my previous work. Could I ask, I mean, cause you know, a, adapting work and deciding how you're going to perform a show that was designed for a stage on a video screen where there's less space and the logistics are, are different and stranger. How did you go about deciding how you were going to uh, like put the show up on the video? Um, that's actually a really good question. The I think the first thing was we wanted to make the medium work for us. So we immediately made some pretty big changes. The show on a stage normally has like a, a chandelier, giant steamer trunks, uh, clamshell footlights that, you know, could get broken very easily if you squished it all together in a, a little living room. So first it was, uh, we asked ourselves the question, what do we need to tell this story? And the answer was very little. So we really did just choose um, you know, one picture for each of the women. Uh, so that is Judy Garland, Betty Davis, Betty Hutton, Lucille Ball, and just one prop that I felt um, encapsulated their essence or it was something that I was already using in some of the choreography. And the, the backdrop, of course, was a fireplace to add that cozy element. Um, and the other big thing was the show is normally 90 minutes with an intermission, we cherry picked our favorite bits of the show and downsized it to 50 minutes of, uh, for lack of a better term, sort of action packed stories, just sort of one after the other. Whereas normally, um, you know, there's a, a few more ups and downs. Mm -hmm. uh, and then technically there was a lot of things too, but I'll let David chime in on that one. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. curious. I'm curious, David, about, about choices that you made in terms of like, um, was it single camera, uh, how you were going to, how you dealt with, with audio? Because you also have, David, you play the piano during the show. And so you have yeah. music being played live that also has to be picked up. So what did you, logistically, what did you, what did you have to prepare for? Well, so we, here's where a bunch of what I do uh, that is unrelated to this kind of sprang into being extremely helpful very unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. Um, because I have been historically a podcaster for quite a long time. Um, I started out uh, probably four and a half years ago now with my own uh, podcast on board gaming called Once Upon a Die. And I started work with that with very, very little understanding of really what I was doing. And I mostly began it because Rebecca's roommate at the time had a microphone that was going spare and I borrowed it for a bit and mucked <laughs> out. Um, and that has developed into a point where I now have like a, not quite a home studio per se, but like I have a, a soundproof box that I can put a microphone in to record stuff with that I use when I'm doing my podcasting. Um, at the same time, I've also been considering for a while doing live streaming with ball games. And so I had a rough idea of how you roughly went about it. And I just took three days of kind of sitting in front of various different uh, YouTube videos and articles on how to make this all work and how to set up a stream and flash learned the whole thing, which was a really, really, really weird thing to do. But um, it, it kind of meant that I already had a lot of the equipment that we needed, which was uh, a camera in the form of a phone, um, a microphone that was going to be good quality and would record uh, the audio in the room without getting too much ambient noise and things like that, which is a lot of the problems that you, you come up with when you're doing home recording. And then it was just learning how to put it together. So we ended up doing a single camera. We did toy with two and we could have done two with the set that, uh, setup that we had, but mm -hmm. um, we are, we're isolating um, right now because we're both on stage mm -hmm. um, or in this case, in living room um it was it was uh, we had rebecca's parents here who were helping us out with what we were doing uh and you know they're they're not sort of so au fait with um 
a lot of the more advanced technological things that you can do and uh, camera tracking and how to, mm. how to use cameras and how to switch between cameras at timely moments on some things like that. So we decided instead that we would go with that single camera, um, which was actually just an iPhone. Um, and we set up oh, well, the, the... an iPhone with a ring light, which helped make uh, the, the lighting, <clears throat> I, I believe, much mm. more effective. Yeah. So we had that. We had the, the microphone, which was in its box. And so we were getting a sort of soundproofed uh, directional oh. input. Tell them um, what it's made of. Uh, oh yeah, so because you can make <laughs> this, this at this home. This is a great idea, and I got this idea from Esther Valens Wright, and I'm going to you know send credit to where it's due on that. Um, it's literally a an IKEA um, moving box, Bin. like a one of those tubs tubs with a clip lid on it, and you just uh, you spray adhesive to stick packing foam inside it, and bingo, soundproof box. Wow. Um, now I usually use that at a table level and kind of all but stick my face into it because it minimizes the sound, but it works for something bigger like this. Um, and then, as Beck said, we had a ring light set up for lighting as well as the, the, the lighting that the room had available for it. Um, I had invested had... a while ago, just, just to add, I had invested a while ago yeah. in a very quality ring light where there's multiple light settings and mm, multiple, mm. Um, you know, you can make it really bright or really dim, really warm, really cool. And that really did help us, especially because we wanted to mimic um, one of the Judy Garland fireside Christmas specials. And when you mm -hmm. watch those, everything is warm. It's warm lighting. Um, it just feels cozy. So we did actually spend quite a long time uh, finicking with the ring light and mm. on an iPad yeah. versus a ring light and a phone. And a ring light right. and a phone gave us the best quality lighting. Hmm. But yeah, that's hmm. a tangent. I, Continue. <laughs> no, well, and I think really you've kind of hit upon what really helped us set up there, um, which is, you know, you've heard me say, conveniently I'm a podcaster and conveniently I was looking into live streaming and conveniently Rebecca needed a ring light to do self tapes and uh, you know we were used to filming stuff because um, Rebecca performs in film I've studied uh, a degree of um, sorry not a degree as in I don't have a degree but I've studied a quantity of, of how to film uh, on YouTube just out of sheer curiosity really and so we kind of serendipity meant we had skill sets and equipment that you need to do this thing um, and I think that was our biggest asset, really, was the fact that we just happened to have a bunch of stuff because of uh, tangential things we did that all combined together to go, okay, well, actually, we can create a pretty professional looking video with professional, or at least as professional as you can get without having a soundproof room, uh, quality audio, and we roughly know how to operate it. And I think that's really what it all came down to in the end. It was just... Uh, uh, having things to hand and, and quickly learning how to use them in a different way, which I feel like is kind of the mantra of this whole thing, really. I would also say that we did have the good fortune of having my parents here in the yeah. sense that my dad was watching the camera and making sure that it was on, everything was fine. And and just a fun part of it, I think, was that we had my mom pretending to be me in the comments, uh, you know, thank thanking people who were saying nice things and stuff like that. Oh, that's good. That's good. Because that yeah. is that is always the important thing is you don't want the comments to be dead. Exactly. When people are taking the time because that's how they're able in, to interact because they can't applaud for you. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And and I think if we could do it again, our wish list for next time, just on the note of technical things, is we have both been eyeing this wonderful device. Um, it's been advertised on Instagram and Facebook. It's called Pivo, P-I-V-O. And it is a little rotating device that you stick your phone on and it tracks your movement wherever you go. So you don't actually need someone to film. So, I have one and it oh, is yeah. magic. It is. Okay. Yeah. It looks so it is, cool. It is so, it is magic. So, so you would recommend, it. recommend it? Oh, 100%. 100%. Okay. That's our wish list then for next yeah, time. No. Yeah, no. I'm just thinking, because if you were to set that up, you could walk over to David at the piano and have it follow you and walk away. Like that kind of shit is that just would be awesome. magic, right? Yeah. yeah. We we thought oh, wow. it looked like it was going to be that cool. So it's really nice to know from somebody who's actually used it that it truly is that cool. It 100% um, is. It's, oh, it's, I mean, what an extraordinary thing. And I feel like that's the thing is um, one of the things we were discussing sort of post live stream. And, you know, I've, I've actually, as I said, I've switched into live streaming since for, for my own stuff outside of this. But it, I, I feel like there's a lot of companies that are, are really, um, 
you know, their their resources and their products have suddenly become extremely valuable because of the scenario yeah. that we find ourselves in. Uh, and, you know, what an extraordinary thing to, to have the ability to have something like a Pivo or like, you know, the, these live stream setups and, and places like Twitch and YouTube and Facebook Live and Instagram Live where you can still continue to share what you're creating. It's really fascinating because the 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 you know there are all of these things that have been um business oriented and now we are kind of attempting to jury rig them for theater. Um <laughs> yeah, and it's absolutely. it's a very fascinating process. Yes, I would agree. I also find it really interesting that um so many mediums of theater, uh, you know, whether that is uh, dance, musical theater, Shakespeare, are being put onto YouTube or wherever. And what's really cool to see now, now that we're about, you know, 60 days into this this pandemic, uh, is that people are actually starting to choreograph for a screen. Like they are using it like it is a box and like it has mm-hmm. its limitations. And they're, and so it's really cool because I've seen things, for example, filmed on Zoom where two people are talking to each other. So they, that one face is left, one face is right. And it looks like they're talking to each other when you put all these screens beside each other. Right. Or uh, someone takes a prop, passes it down. And because the box below is somebody else, that person then, you know, oof, this prop is now on their screen because they both had the same prop that looked this, you know, looked like the same thing. Like there's so many amazing things that I think we are very much hankering to experiment with uh, choreography wise the next time we do a live stream. But for this one specifically, because it was born on the stage and it, and it very much um, is about people who were both in the movies and on stage, we decided on that sort of fireside sharing a story environment. But I'm very aware that there's Mm -hmm. so many amazing ways that one can live stream now. And I'm excited to try all of them. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of because you know, I mean, my my day job has gone completely um, work from home, so everybody's like working from home. So I spend all day in Zoom meetings, right? right. And, yes, and similar. So the idea of sitting of sitting down to watch another Zoom meeting doesn't always right uh, inspire. So yes. and that I think is the is the downside <laughs> to a fair. lot of a lot of you know as we stumble along because um, we are David, stumbling. You- We're trying to discover how to how to do this stuff digitally and we're starting at zoo at meeting and trying to find interesting ways to work with the medium. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the well, reasons I, I really appreciated what you guys were doing because um, it wasn't a zoom meeting. It was yes. still attempting to be theatrical in a way that, that um, I think helps still keep it engaging and visually interesting. We thank you because we worked really hard for that and and did try yeah. and consider all the elements. Um, and, and I'm glad that it still did feel theatrical because, like I said, we did make choices that sort of sh- had to shrink our performance, you know, as far as props and and just even the length that it was. But I'm glad that it still translated like this. This could plop onto a stage, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I also think that we're beginning to see the absolute kind of. Uh, pinnacle of that adage that limitation breeds creativity because i mean that really is what we're dealing with right now is we're dealing with this extraordinary limitation to what we're used to um Mm -hmm. you know we have a very very different way of working with people uh and i mean that very very generally um but also theater specifically has such a peculiar relationship now with how uh, it existed previously versus how it exists now because of the limitations of what we're actually able to do. Um, and I think it was really interesting exploring that. And it, it's gratifying to hear that, you know, um, we did something that really, really rang as, as uh, a, a clear transition into a new medium. One other choice I would add that we very much carefully considered um, was the ticker tape on the bottom. We had mm-hmm. just just to sort of keep people's attention, but still sort of keep it theatrical and fun. We had a ticker tape on the bottom that had fun facts about each of the ladies as we, uh, you know, moved from one woman to another. And we had some yeah. more more um, useful uh, facts, uh, such as like, who the entire creative team was. And one of the inspirations for that was those sort of 1950s telethons that were filmed live where all these people with different talents would get up and do something all in front of the same setting. And so we thought that that was sort of the perfect thing to add to this little fireside special um, because it, it very much is something that 
uh, we were imitating that has that retro vibe. Do you actually, yeah. David, want to talk about, there's so many different kinds of ticker tape uh, plugins that you can use. Do you want to explain your choices for the one we used? Yeah, I mean, well, I just honestly, I because of the time constraints that we had in putting that together, I ended up using the first one I came across, but it's something that I've stuck with since. Um, we So for those who haven't delved into the realm of, of live streaming yet, um, the way that we did this was through a program called OBS, which is Open Broadcasting Software, um, which is a piece of software that allows you to either record or stream video. And you can use the camera that's on your device. So if you're working from a laptop or an um, uh, an iMac or something like that, or a, a PC, I would assume, uh, then you can use its inbuilt camera. Um, but you can pay for an, an app for your phone that lets you then use the phone with the limitation that it's attached to a lightning cable. Uh, so it only has that distance. You then wrap that software, you just type in a key. There's a key code that you can get from Twitch or from YouTube or from Facebook. And you type that in or you copy it into OBS and then the two talk to each other. Um, but the great thing with OBS is it is eminently moddable, which means there's so much you can do to it. You can get things to change it somehow. Uh, and one of these uh, the things that's built into it is you can get text and then you can make that text move across the screen, which is what we did. Um, and it's a really, really simple process to do of just creating a text and then adding a filter to it that makes it scroll. And it allowed us to put up credits. It allowed us to put up the donation website that we had set up for the live stream. It allowed us to put up these facts, which added because they were things that we researched. And it's like, this is really cool. Like Lucille Ball greenlit Star Trek, the original series of Star Trek and Mission Impossible. Which is something that didn't fit in the show, but is something so right. fun to add, just like a little yes. nugget of knowledge, right? Um, and so it enhanced what we were doing because we were able to give this additional knowledge and these extra cool facts that we spent time researching and just what we can't fit in. But now we can actually give a little something extra that, that you don't normally get watching the show as it currently stands. Yeah, there's also, there's so many there's so many like the the I like I think at the start of all of this, because there was so much there was a de certain desperation in one of the early um, conversations I had at the start of this referred to like, like, like panic production as people were like panicking and trying to get stuff done. And, and I'm just going to throw it on zoom. It'll be like the, all of us in like a Brady bunch configuration or whatever. And, and, but there's so much more that can be done if you're willing mm -hmm. to dig into the, the nitty gritty of, 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 of how to, to make it work. Like I've, came up i've like in my day job i work in the event industry and we're sort of like looking at that sort of thing i came across something called Streamyard, which allows you to right. have like people in the room and like focus the camera focus on that person focus on that person because they're in different places and gives you sort of that oh cool professional e look to it so that you can right. uh it looks because one of the problems i've found with the whole zoom meeting thing is that there's a lot of fatigue yeah. In terms of watching that, which is which is why, right. you know, I think it was a smart choice for you to to cut down the length of your show, because there is um, sort of meeting fatigue on that window, mm -hmm. because the experience of watching something, whether it's in the meeting configuration or as a, a more stagey performance like you did, there's there's a bit of fatigue on the screen because it doesn't change that much. Yep, absolutely. Um, I, I also think. um one of the reasons we didn't do zoom and we stuck to YouTube, uh, well, first of all, cause it's, it's public and anybody can see it, mm -hmm. um, is because that way, once we decided it wasn't just for seniors homes, uh, we could share it in such a, an easy way. Um, yeah. we invited casting directors, we invited, um, theaters, you know, we've been trying to court for a while. Um, we, and because like you said at the beginning, everyone was trying to get stuff up there was a lot of quality content, but there was also a lot of like slapdash stuff. So it was important to us to treat this with the sort of professionalism we would if we were doing a fringe show, you know, what are all the elements we can control and mm -hmm. how can we do them as best as possible? Because then people will pay attention to it. Um, and we were very surprised with how, how much attention we got just simply because, um, as far as people putting things up, we were within the first uh, sort of two and a half weeks of that happening. Um, we got like media coverage from mm -hmm. uh, places we weren't expecting, like Time Out New York made us one of their top five things to see that week, which was crazy. That um, is, that's amazing. 
right? That's pretty awesome. Yeah, we 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 sent. I, I I'm sort of the media producing side of of this venture, and so I sent press releases everywhere to places I've performed, theaters I've performed in, theaters I want to perform in, as well as like my dream newspapers and my dream magazines and online publishings and. And yeah, Time Out New York covered us. We were on the front page of Broadway World, um, uh, Instagram, like just, you know, a few accounts that I didn't even realize had paid attention to us were, you know, sharing us on their stories. Um, alongside also sort of on the grassroots note, like so many family members and, and friends um, that we really felt YouTube was the smartest place to do this because everybody had access and it's easy and it's something people are already familiar with. I know that a lot of people have had trepidation with Facebook live because it does uh, cut out a little bit here and there. And same with Instagram live, like the, you can't control the sound quality as much. No. And the problem that I have with Instagram live is there is no way to watch video. That's not on your phone. Yeah. There are so many ways to watch YouTube that is not, on your phone, it, a lot of TVs have YouTube. A lot of a lot of com- all computers could do it. Like, and it's Instagram is just like you holding your phone, and that's not a great experience yeah. for an audience member. So, um, I would I would pretty much automatically rule Instagram out as an option. Mm-hmm. I'd say the only exception would be if you have an insane following on Instagram, but I know very yeah. few theater uh, actors that have that i feel like that's much more of a musician thing or if you're like you know if you do makeup tutorials or something like that um another thing about youtube though we did learn one important lesson phil that i feel we should share on please do podcast because it's the one thing that we thought we had controlled that totally went wrong at the beginning of our live stream uh david i'm sure you know what i'm talking about do you want to talk about what we learned uh when we made uh we made our little link something people could uh, bookmark and wait in line to see. Yeah, and this may have been a slip up on my part. I'm not 100% certain because, again, you know, I'd spent three days prior to this thing panic learning how to do it all. And <laughs> you can set up private streams and things like that, but there was one little element of it that I didn't think about. And that is you can set um, a reminder so that, uh, or that you can, you can set up a button rather so that people can click set a reminder and they get a little notification um from youtube saying hey that thing you wanted to watch is going live um and so we set that up and the problem was i found i i set that up too far in advance and i couldn't select the um the the different uh technical settings that i'd set up to run from the obs so mm. I was I we were left with this thing trying to start off, and I couldn't adjust any of the technical information I had already entered, um, <sighs> which was a problem because it meant it was all trying to run off the wrong stuff. Yes. So ultimately, what we ended up doing was spamming the chat for the original thing, saying, "Here's the new link. Here's the new link," and starting a new video with a right. new link, but that was all set up with the correct stuff. Now that may just have been. And we haven't done a YouTube live thing since uh, my personal streaming has been on Twitch. So I haven't seen this again since. But it may have been that, uh, you know, there was something I should have set up earlier on uh, to say you need to use this input and this all this information. Um, But the problem was I just didn't know far enough in advance how to do that. Um, so we it was found an interesting little hiccup. <laughs> well, I mean, seconds before we were starting. <laughs> we are. I mean, we're all learning everything right now (laughs) like my mom is learning like different different conferencing software just to talk to her family we're all like learning like seven different things right now and trying to adjust there's fascinating things happening um i was i just saw a picture of a setup from a conference that went virtual they usually have about 400 500 people Right. They went virtual within like two weeks of the lockdown starting. And mm-hmm. what they did was they met, they, they, their setup was insane. They had, they, they, they got like a space, like a, a sound stagey space. They had eight separate Zoom meetings that they ran through a, a, a central computer that let them talk to each other. Oh. And they had monitors going so that they could see their audience. That's awesome. It's insane. And it's not something that I think that any of us can do on our own because they had an AV company do it. 
Yeah, I bet. Well, and also I'm sitting here thinking the processing power involved in running eight Zoom calls that are full to the max. Yes. Um, And the audio latency and lag issues that you must have dealing with that kind of, like my brain is already exploding trying to understand how to possibly make that work. Um, It is, I can imagine that it's not easy, but it's also like, it's fascinating and you wouldn't be able to do that. Like I couldn't do that on my little MacBook Air. Right. It would, it would die. Um, But like, yes, you're right. But they had like the setup behind the scenes was, was insane. So I'm seeing this and like, like this is the kind of thing where maybe down the road we'll be able to make that kind of thing more accessible and easier to easier to do, which, you know, as far as we can tell, the earliest that most theaters coming back is like January. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And we still don't know if audiences will be willing to be in a room with 500 or more people. At that time. Yeah, it'll be small scale, I feel. Um, which, I mean, I think is, this sounds like a strange thing to say, but it's kind of good news for the little guy in the sense that I think theaters will be a little bit more open to grassroots style projects that have started small that can yeah. maybe use a leg up, or at least that is my personal hope. Um, I mean, I think we're, about- yeah, go, no, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, no, just, I, I was talking to a few colleagues, uh, some some of whom own theaters, and I think the general consensus is is take the amount of people you would put in a studio theater put them in the big theater space them out so they all feel safe but try and give them as intimate of a performance as possible and so i think we'll see a lot more um self-created works come to the forefront which you know i'm in the business of you're in the business of phil uh david is also in the business of so Mm -hmm. i think it's exciting i think people should keep writing um even if it's just to keep them sane but like what if you have a wonderful project by the end of this and then people start requesting things like that to be submitted. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's there's there's so much going on, and everything is 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 changing every day. Um, and I think that as much as as you know, we worry about the future of theater. I've actually been taking heart in the fact that you know, looking at you know the last time there was anything like this, nineteen eighteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With the the 1918 flu and theaters did close down, movies movie houses closed down, all these things closed down, but they came back. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so I it, I I remind myself that even at, even during that pandemic that killed more people than were killed in World War One, theater came back. So I'm I'm holding on to that. I, I think I'm gonna hold on to that too. I I like that. <laughs> yeah, I think at heart we are storytellers i mean mm-hmm. what what is you know whether you whether you're a um you know uh, the most mathematical businessman known to, to, to man or whether you are an author or a playwright or an actor we are ultimately all storytellers because that is that is kind of what the human experience is it's a accumulation of the stories that you have through your life and i think that we we always have an urge to tell um and i think that that won't go anywhere and i think as long as that doesn't go anywhere then everything else just I hope we'll we'll swing back with it, um, but I, th- I I do take some solace in knowing that something like this has happened before, and the industry rebounded and you know became something memorable again very very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of stories, I would like to change gears a little yeah. bit because Rebecca, you've been on uh, stage worthy a couple of times and yes. David, this is, I think you were on as sort of a group during one of the fringe festival round tables, yes. but I've never had you on together. And mm-hmm. one of the things I would like to ask you about is, is how this partnership came to be. If I could ask how you guys both met and how you decided that it, that you could work together and that you wanted to work together. Absolutely. Uh, well, we'll start with the, the romantic side, which was David was visiting a friend in Toronto whom he had employed for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And so, of course, this friend of mine, her name's uh, Eleanor McVeigh, she introduced me to David because I wanted to go to the Ed Fringe Festival. So I, I asked him all these questions about what uh, what August in Scotland is like. And 
you know, uh, sparks flew for lack of a better term, because uh, we just got along so well. And so I think that really did set the tone that not only would we be uh, good partners uh, in life, but also in theater. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. David, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's one of those strange, um, I, I'd had a lot of uh, sort of theatrical experiences back in the UK. Um, I'd done a lot of um, sort of stage management and lighting and things like that. And I'm a musician. And it was one of those things that it was, uh, it was the burgeoning of, of kind of both partnerships at the same time, because we met for a business coffee. And it was evident by the end of said business coffee that both of us were interested in, in following that up uh, on a personal level, but also that we, there was a, there was a sense of, of understanding each other's skill sets and business and, and all that kind of stuff. And I, I, the Edinburgh Fringe had always fascinated me and I was happy to get involved with something. And it kind of all spread from there, really. You know, we were, um, we ended up going on uh, a couple of dates very, very soon afterwards and, and solidifying the beginning of a relationship. Uh, and at the same time, you know, we continued these discussions of, well, there's this big festival coming over that, that, that I know about and that you're, uh, you know, Rebecca was producing the, uh, I, I haven't seen, Redheaded coffee shop girl at this point in time, but um, uh, it was evident that she was highly creative and and uh, had a great. And the deal show had a good drive. track record already. Yeah. yeah, and you had drive and you had talent, and it was I just I wanted to be involved in it, and so I said, yeah, sure, you know, of course I'll help you. And so the business side almost grew alongside that. Um, if I could actually. And- a good analogy, I think you yeah. agree with this, David. If I had a Venn diagram to dis- describe David and Rebecca, so Rebecca's circle is uh, producer brain, David's is administrative brain, but where we meet in the middle is we both are very creative and, and have creative brains too. So uh, yeah. both of our skill sets are both similar and different and complement each other very well because yeah. where, where I can see how to make a splash David can see um, all the steps we need to get there. Yes, I think that makes a huge amount of sense. Yeah. Now, um, David, you were in the UK and you moved to Canada. Was there a culture shock? Uh, Because it's one thing to visit a place. It's another thing to pick up and live there. Um, (laughs) What what did you find that was the most different uh, coming from England uh, uh, to, to, to Canada? That's kind of a two-part answer in a way, because I had lived here uh, for just over a year and a bit previously. Um, And I went home originally to sort of sort out getting my visa to come back. Uh, And so when I came back over, uh, it would have been February 2015. So Rebecca and I met in November of uh, 2014, and it was February of 2015 that I came back over. I sort of knew roughly what to expect, but I came back into a very different group of people because I hadn't been in the Canadian theatre industry previously. Um, I'd been over here. You know, I'd, I'd just taken retail jobs and not really done anything to stretch myself. Um, mm. So I think if I can answer that very briefly in two parts, uh, what did I find different when I came over here? Um, there was a degree of familiarity because I think that Toronto uh, is, in terms of kind of how, how I saw it when I came over here, it sort of felt like a lot of it was sort of halfway between London and New York. Uh, if that makes yeah. any sense, in the sense that things I didn't recognize from England, because there's a lot that's recognizable from, from British culture here. Um, and things that I didn't recognize that way, I recognized from having spent time in New York. Um, but that is also a surface thing. And once you start to dig, obviously, there are a lot of differences. Um, in terms of what I have now come to understand, uh, that I, now that I've been here a lot longer, and I go look back at it and I say, well, what did catch me off guard? Um, I think the in terms of the industry that we're talking about, um, the theatre industry is very, very different. Um, it is a smaller industry in terms of, you know, number of theatres in the city, but also number of competing theatre companies, which mm-hmm. was a really interesting thing to me because in London, you have the Ambassador Theatre Group. You have, um, uh, oh, heavens, of course, now I can't think of any of them. Um, like the old Vic or like there's a um, in heaven. But yeah, but yeah. There's, there's three or four, NIMAX, um, you know, there are, there are three or four major theatre companies that own, you know, half a dozen, ten theatres each that are all competing with each other. And you don't have that really in Toronto. You have Mervish and then kind of everybody else. That is a huge generalisation, I realise. Yes. But there isn't another Mervish in Toronto. Whereas in London, there are four or five. 
And that's right. a really mm-hmm. interesting difference in the industry because it means that there isn't a lot of competition between theaters, which means the prices can be driven way up, which means right. that there's one company that you're pitching to if you're trying to, as an actor or a writer or whoever it is, you're trying to get your work seen. Uh, and you don't have that kind of, um, you know, playing one company off against each other, which I think is both a good thing and a bad thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't feel equipped enough to really say uh, in any great length what is good and what is bad about that. But I, def- I you know, I get that sense, if that makes, there any, are differences. Uh, makes any sense to you. Uh, in terms of actually living in Canada, um, the biggest difference for me was, was finance when I came over here. Um, you know, I, I would be spending X amount of money on something and it felt like it wasn't an awful lot of money because, it, you know, I, in my head I would go, oh, $11 for a meal, that translates to about, six pounds that's pretty good uh, until you realize that of course the it that's just changing money that's not changing the economy uh yes and yeah you're you're making you know eleven dollars is not the half hour of work it would have been in the uk it's an hour's work over here whatever yes. it happens to be and that for anybody who is ever considering moving countries that's the first thing to get your head around because i wasted a lot of money in my first couple of months here not really understanding that difference um <laughs> and then I don't know, if I were to pick one more thing that I think is really, really different, I think um, going out culture is very, very different over here. Um, It's very pub oriented in the UK, pubs and clubs, uh, and kind of, um, it's it's just as noisy and it's just as populated over here, but somehow pub culture um, compared to bar culture here is a very, very different feeling. And that took me a little while to, to kind of get my head around. Um, and I'm not even sure I know how to put that one into words either, which it sounds like I'm dodging questions. I'm not, I just, it, it's a visceral feeling and it's a, a sense that it's not quite what I was used to. Um, but that was a very weird thing. Mm. No, I've, I've been told by people who've, who've, who've lived say in London that, um, you go to the pub. That's, it's like your living room for a lot of people. We don't have that yeah. here. We go no. out to drink. Or yeah. something else, but it's not a place to just hang out in the same way that you would as though you were at home. I also don't uh, think that we go out here to the same place, you know, every day, every week. We right. want to try the newest thing. We yeah. want to try the place that has all these new good gin cocktails, and that's our place to have gin. Then there's the other place that has all these amazing whiskeys. Like, I feel like everything's a bit more separated over here. Yeah. That, I think, is a fair observation. And I think you go out, at least Rebecca and I do, we go out with an aim to try new things a lot of the time, which I think is something that I wouldn't have done as much in London. If you kind of go out to your old haunt uh, is kind of the feeling that I had back in in the UK. Um, Mm -hmm. And actually, one ridiculous thing that I will just throw out there, but but it is such a huge difference in in, uh, uh, the two cultures. And it's one reason why no Canadian attempt at a British pub that I've been to has yet succeeded. uh, And that's table service. Um, mm. because there is no table service in a British pub. They bring you your food when your food is ready, but you go up and you order everything at the bar. You take a pint back to your table yourself. You know, it's, it was, it's, it's a weird little thing to pick on. But if I was to pick on one thing that threw me off, it was always ordering from your table. Hmm. Hmm. But I think that Canadians wouldn't, uh, and nor- people in North America would not expect that. And they would right. probably not take kindly to that. So. I would I think so. I know that. it makes total sense now that I've been here for yeah. a while. But that, so of course, a couple of weeks, you know, especially because I worked at the Eaton Center and I went to the, I don't know what it is, the Duke of Richmond or whichever of the Dukes right. is just around the corner, expecting a bit more of a British pub thing because that's what it was trying to be. And yes, I sat at my table and ordered, and it was just one of those weird little things. Mm. That, you know, it doesn't really, mm. it's, it's that's what the culture is here. But it threw me for a loop when I first experienced it. Yeah. What what's coming up next for 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 you guys from like uh, from Judy to Bet or or to, from Judy to uh, Betty or or other shows? Can you tell me what's what? Yeah. Like, do you have anything on the go? Oh yeah, absolutely is the answer. Uh, with, I'm very excited to answer that question. So uh, as far as things that we plan to put on a stage. There are two things we are working on. Um, And I say we in the sense that, um, you know, because this is also a company that is run. um, So while I might be writing, David might be, you know, pitching a theater we've previously worked with, seeing if they want to have the premiere of one of these shows, just as an example. Mm -hmm. Um, The two shows that are coming up have actually secured where they're going to premiere. So at the Richmond Hill Center for the Performing Arts, uh, now it was supposed to premiere in 2023, but of course that might get pushed back a little bit. Um, I am working on my first sort of collective musical. Uh, and when I say collective, 
I will be writing the book, but um, a group of musicians will be coming up with the songs and the lyrics together. It's something that we'll be workshopping in a number of phases. Uh, and it's about a woman. Her name, well, her stage name is Aloha Wanderwell. She is a Canadian woman who, at the turn of the century, traveled around in a Ford T-model car to every single country in the world and met its dignitaries, participated in something cultural, and became this sort of worldwide phenomenon that newspapers were following because she she did something so impressive when most women at the turn of the century, you know, were wearing dresses, not pants. They were making butter, not traveling mm -hmm. around the world. Um, and so she became almost sort of infamous now, uh, fast forward a few years, and all of a sudden in the newspapers, she's accused of murdering her husband and chucking him off a boat. So now she becomes infamous in the wrong way, uh, and she's part of all these dramatic court cases and somehow winds up parlaying all that fame and, and, and sort of um, attention, I guess, into becoming a silent film star alongside Mary Pickford. So this is a, a totally wow. real woman with one heck of a three-part story, or at least that's how I'm looking at it. Um, and she has barely made her mark in history's pages. And I have no idea huh. why, other than, you know, she was the face of multiple things. You know, she wasn't Mary Pickford, the face of the silent screen films. Uh, she wasn't just a world traveler. She was also someone who was documenting everything. She has some of the mm -hmm. first pieces of footage of the Amazon and and like all the rivers in Brazil. Like it's... It's insane how much she did, and she's not really known to Canadians. In fact, she's only really famous in the southern states because of her silent film stardom. So it's going to be this crazy musical that has the feeling of once in the sense that, uh, you know, once had all these musicians collectively telling a story, um, but it's also not like that because it's not folk music. It's much more bluegrass based. So that's really exciting. And the second show, which is going to premiere at the Lighthouse Festival Theater, once again, which year is now debatable just because of the pandemic, but um it's called Entertaining the Troops, and it's also about a Canadian called Beatrice Lilly. For anybody who went to U of T, actually, there's a whole uh, sort of memorial hall dedicated to her in Hart House Theatre. Uh, she was a Canadian who won uh, Tony Awards. You know, uh, she was a, a very famous performer. And then during World War II, she was one of the only Canadians who was performing on the USO tours alongside Bob Hope and Vera Lynn. Uh, except the cool thing about her is she was known... Uh, as the woman who had the funny 11 o'clock number that was a little bit dirty. So newspapers would never cover her. They would only cover Songbird Vera Lynn because they didn't want to acknowledge what she was doing and that what she was doing had value because it was just considered too risque. <laughs> now, what's very funny to me is as, as a woman living in 2020, half of what she's singing about is so harmless. Like, you know, Ooh, you said the word ankle. Oh my goodness. But you know, in the context of the song at the time, everyone was just losing their mind. Um, and so I'm very excited to strike the balance of acknowledging that we're performing this to an audience in 2020 or, or whenever it performs, but we have to somehow translate this humor and why it was such a big deal. Do we have her song? Like, do we know what her song sounded yeah, like uh, and what it was? Let, well, you can look up on YouTube uh, fairies in the bottom of my garden or the yodeling goldfish, and that will give you an idea. She has this very playful sense of humor, and okay. basically her songs tell stories. She also has like a very beautiful voice, but they're very sort of funny, tongue-in-cheek. You realize that sort of fairies in the bottom of my garden is much more referencing, you know, getting a soldier in the sack. Um, <laughs> there's, there's, yeah, it's she, she uses harmless humor, but if you take a second to think about what she's saying, it's mm. it's quite tongue-in-cheek. She so also had done... Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say she was quite closely related, uh, not related to, but uh, she worked very closely with Noel Coward quite a lot. Um, yeah, he would write she, for her. Yeah. Hmm. So there's uh, there's some of the early Noel Cowards where she was the person who actually uh, performed them for the first oh. time, things like that. Wow. So, um, she's got quite a, um, uh, what's the right word? Uh, a collection of, of songs that are, are sort of originally hers or um you know, mm -hmm. originated by her uh, and then went on to do other things or be included in other shows and things like that. But if you if you mm. dig into her, it's quite extraordinary, the, the mm. repertoire that she had. The, nice. the theme basically is Canadian women that I feel deserved uh, a few more pages in history's books and, and that I think 
did things that were very interesting and unique and therefore kind of set the stage for creating a, a very unique kind of musical. Um, and this time, neither of them would be solo shows. They very much would have a company of people telling a story, uh, mm. especially with entertaining the troops, Beatrice Lilly's story. Um, I can't wait to hire people that have unique skills, you know, such as mm. pup puppetry or maybe a unique instrument because these USO tours were all about one person getting up and doing one number that showed off the most unique skill they had. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. so it'll be a really fun combination of people that I don't think mm -hmm. you normally see on stage together. And that really excites me. Um, and I guess as far as things that are in the nearer future, the third thing that I sort of had in mind when you asked that question is that David and I have, um, over the years, we have reimagined and sort of reinvented a number of traditional folk songs and current indie pop folk songs, as well as uh, just started writing some original material as well. So we're really hoping that our next live stream will be something completely different because it won't necessarily be a solo show. It'll be um, a folk music performance uh, combining some of these original songs as well as these, uh, you know, reimaginations of, of classic and contemporary works to sort of put them all under the banner of uh, the, the title we have is uh, My Home. Um, so what it means to be Canadian, how folk music has affected Canadians, how there has been British influences to Canadian folk music, and, mm -hmm. and just sort of the fact that David and I come from both of those cultures and how they clash and how they don't clash and, and what, what sort of being Canadian means, being British means, and, and what home means to us. Hmm. Now, as we're drawing to a close here, um, one of the questions I've been asking people, because, you know, here we are in our social distancing times, the times of the coronavirus, or however we are eventually going to refer to these times. <laughs> um, we're all isolating in our own ways. And I found for the longest time that there was just like this layer of anxiety over everything. Like I'd go outside and I could feel it on my street and I could feel it from my neighbors and all of that stuff. And so I'm very curious about, about how you guys are doing and also how you guys are finding joy and what's, what's giving you joy uh, uh, in your day to day these days. I think because we have the good, uh, the good fortune of sort of, you know, we already accidentally were in Brampton, so we stayed in Brampton, um, is that we've been using the fact that there is a little bit of extra space around here to our advantage. We are able to go for walks, you know, in the sunshine, and we don't run into anybody, so we feel safe while doing so. Yeah. Um, but I think the biggest thing is just getting fresh air. And so we've gotten creative in the sense that, you know, we'll we'll just go out on the, the little porch at my parents' place and play a board game outside as opposed to doing an activity we would normally do inside. Um, and I know, uh, David, feel free to elaborate on this, but we've also had five things that we are consistently doing daily. It's, it's called the next 90 day challenge. Um, and so basically you, uh, you have uh, enough water that you're like the, the amount of water your body weight is supposed to have every day. In the morning, you write down five things that you are grateful for. And I'm talking like little things like they had tortillas at the grocery store this week. Yeah. Um, uh, as well as uh, just just give up one food that, you know, isn't serving you right now. So for me, you know, I decided I don't need Nutella for the next little while. Um, as well as um, what were the other two, David? Oh, right. Excer move for 30 minutes every day, which is a big one. Um, and then the final one, oh my gosh, I'm blanking. Even the, fi uh, the final one was, uh, you try if you can to wake up an hour early yes, and yes, having yes. done so take either that hour or you can sort of more liberally interpret it, I think. And I think it makes more sense, uh, to interpret it an hour sometime during the day for you, like do yeah. something that lets you, and it's, you know, they, they suggest even cause this, this is something that's been uh, put together by, uh, the Hollis company, uh, which is sort of like a wellness collective um and uh they sort of say you know you could even use it to do this like log your five things you're grateful for and do your movement in that hour if you mm. wish mm. um i think we've been using it more for um for you know sitting down and playing board games either just the two of mm. us or with the family or uh you know just do something to wind down and don't think about what's going on in the world outside for a minute and take some time to, to you know kind of be yourself again because i think it's it's easy to lose you in the maelstrom of everything else uh, mm. when something like this happens, because especially when you're in 
an industry like theater or like I, I returned some rental stuff to Long McQuay the other day and I was chatting to someone in the line who was in the film and TV industry and we were sort of, you know, sharing war stories for want of a better phrase. Um, and uh, I think it's when something like that happens and your entire life changes, it's very, very difficult to lose or very, sorry, it's very easy to lose track of, of, you know, who you are and what you do and, and reconnecting with that is really the goal of this thing. But it's something that I think it, it, it encourages an awareness that you might not otherwise give time for. And, and we Let's, also are people that, oh, go ahead, Phil. No, go ahead. No, 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 please go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, just, just to sort of end cap that we're both people that thrive when we have a, a loose schedule, but not a regimented schedule. So just mm-hmm. having five little things to keep in mind every day does not feel stressful to us. Whereas if we had every hour of every day, you know, scheduled, you know, it would just all go out the window within 24 hours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you both. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you guys uh, coming on today. Oh, thank you. This has been a Homebody Productions production.